another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world and the changing times and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, February 17th. This is episode, I think, 142 or 143. I'm really not even sure anymore. It's hard to keep track. I'm trying to bust out one of these every day. Yesterday, I managed to break out a show for you in the afternoon. Missed Monday. Published it today, this morning, Tuesday. I'm not sure when I'm going to publish this show. My plan was to go ahead and publish it on Wednesday. Right now, I'm thinking I might publish this show uh, Tuesday evening to free up Wednesday because I'm going to introduce this show talking about something that gives me some hope. Some hope for change. Only a little bit different than Obama hope for change, which to me was marketed like a drug. Hey man, I got a little bit of hope here. Why don't you have a little bit of hope? And uh, believe in some change and feel good and vote Obama. That's just how the marketing spin on that thing seemed to go down to me. And uh, But today, somebody's given me real hope. And the reason I think this blissful hope thing that, that was the, the Obama marketing, that we yes we can, it's wonderful, uh, is so wrong that even if the guy meant to bring real change, okay, the changes that he talked about, less less uh, less uh, lobbying and, and all these other things that he's talked about, some of the things that he talked about that anybody would look at and go, yeah, that would be good, I just don't think you're going to do it. Um, even if we bring real change, we're going to have pain go along with it. And that's the biggest reason the politicians don't want to bring change. Because when you tell people we're going to make a change, what it means is everybody's going to have to give something up. And everybody's going to have to pull together for a little while. And we're not going to keep having the band play. And we are going to have to lay people off. And the economy is going to contract. And we're going to have to rebuild. And before we can rebuild, we have to tear down the wasteful portions and rebuild. That's painful. But one state has taken the lead in what I can only call a new American revolution. And I have been challenging you guys, my listeners out there, to come up with an idea. And maybe the state of New Hampshire has given us a direction that we can follow. The state of New Hampshire, and I'm not going to get too deep into this today because I don't know all the specifics. I just heard about it as I was leaving the uh, House. The state of New Hampshire passed a resolution or a law. I'm not sure if it's a resolution or a law or was a resolution became a law. Again, I don't have specifics yet. But the meat of the thing is, they have said that under the Tenth Amendment of the United States Constitution, the state of New Hampshire does not recognize the right of the federal government to give them unfunded mandates to say, we require all the states to do this, sort out how to pay for it, or to give them mandates that are funded and then penalize them or fine them for not coming through with the mandate. In other words, the state of New Hampshire has turned to the federal government and in one giant leap raised a huge middle finger from the grand old man of the mountains, which, go look that up if you don't know what I'm talking about there, and said, Screw off. You're not going to tell us how to conduct business in our state anymore. And, we, and, we, and it's not a couple angry guys or just a governor. It's the state legislature together living up to their freaking motto finally and saying live free or die. 
and they're throwing down the gauntlet. And then there's, you know, basically it's okay, and we're not going to tolerate this from you anymore. Now the federal government has to decide what to do about it. Now, if it's just New Hampshire, my view is that the federal government will crush this. They'll figure out a compromise, is what they'll call it. But what they'll do is they'll go in and squeeze. What's giving me hope is 10 other states have similar resolutions and draft right now. I don't know which states they are. As far as I know, Texas is not one of them. I'm going to challenge my Texas listeners. Let's get on the horn. Let's talk to our state clowns and our useless freaking carpetbagger, Rick Perry, and see if we can get Texas to take this step. To me, this is a step, you know, well onto the, uh, to the moderate side of secession. This is not a state saying, hey, we're out. It's a state saying, you know what, we want to be part of the union as it's designed. And that means that we get to make the decisions within our sovereign borders as a state. We have free and open commerce. We'll take your advice. We'll take your input. We expect you to be able to give back to us what we put in. But that's it. That's where we draw the line. You won't tell us how to conduct business. Beautiful. And uh, if 10 more states do this, then the federal government is going to get themselves into a real problem. Because they can't afford what's going on right now. Now, here's why I started out a little bit beating on Obama's hope and change message. That's not about Obama, folks. That's about the message. I have plenty of negative stuff to say about Obama individually. I did it on my last show. I'll continue to do it in the future. But that's not what I'm talking about there. I'm talking about the message. That hope and change are wonderful. Hope and change are wonderful, but they always involve suffering first. They always involve sacrifice first. They always involve pain first. And if 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 states do this, it is not going to be blissful euphoria and prepping is going to become more important than ever. We're basically going to have a non-shooting war. A war between the states and the federal government for states' rights and state independence. Done in the legal halls of America. And it's going to require sacrifice. It's going to require, when the state cuts something off, the people of the state not freaking out and go, Oh my God, let's go back to Big Brother. Right? You're going to have to stand your ground. Now... I'm going to continue with this show, and I'm going to talk more about this in the next show and get some more specifics for you on it. And any research you guys can do for me out there, send me an email. Let me know where I can get more info on this. Hard details is what I'm looking for. If there's other states drafting it, who's drafting it? Who's in charge of it? I want to flood the people that are behind this thing with phone calls from all over America saying, hey, look, I'm in Texas. We're not doing this yet, but I believe in what you're doing. Keep doing it. We support you. I want to let these people know that what they're doing is support not only in their own states, but around the country, because it's going to be important to get it done. But I can't talk about it anymore until I learn some more. So let's get into what I want to talk about in today's show. Um, I'm going to give you a good reason that this needs to be done. Uh, two good reasons. They are... California and Kansas, which are very different in the way that they look and in the problems that they're having, but they're having a very similar problem. Both of them are at a point where the money has stopped flowing. There is no more money to pay their bills, to pay their debts, to pay their employees, to fund the operations of their states. They're at a zero balance and declining, and they can't borrow anymore, or their state legislature and the state of, in the instance of Kansas won't let them borrow anymore. Here's what we have. We have a state in California that is something like $40 billion in debt. And their solution to their problem 
is to raise taxes. And I got an email from a guy living in California, going to school there, somewhere in the neighborhood of 2 to 5% on top of what they already pay for state tax. The way he put it is they're taxing our taxes. And apparently there was one Republican holdout in the state Senate that was keeping the bill from going forward. I read something today that seems like the word compromise has come up and that there is a deal now that's being done. But it doesn't seem like it's cutting budgets. Now, I also read something that said Governor Schwarzenegger has made good on his on his threat to cut jobs in the state. And they were talking about cutting as many as 20,000 state jobs. And uh, i got to look at California and go, I bet you there's 20,000 people in the state government whose main occupation is holding a desk down so it doesn't blow away. And there's probably room to cut that. And this is what I mean about hope and change. When people want hope, when people want change, when people want a new America, when people want to take the country back, we need to be very clear about what we're saying when we say that. What we're saying is we're willing to sacrifice. We understand that it can be a lot better tomorrow, but today we must suffer first. Our forefathers were willing to shed their blood, live in the woods, and be chased by the largest army in the world to grant our independence. We may have to move to a smaller home. We may have to move into a travel trailer. We may have to live in a freaking tent. But at least nobody will be shooting at us. That's how far it might end up going to take this nation back. And I believe it can be done based on what I've seen so far from the state of New Hampshire without gunfire. At least without gunfire between the states and the federal government. That has always been my hope, that we could find a way to put this country back onto its constitutional feet in a constitutional direction without bloodshed. Now, there will be bloodshed, but it will be from rioters, it will be from looters, it will be from things like that as law enforcement breaks down. And again, we'll have to be a strong people and not go crawling to the federal government. The state of California raising taxes instead of cutting expenses. Kansas is a lot different. Kansas is in a situation where Kansas actually has the money. Kansas has about $4 billion in cash reserves. Just like freaking Texas had $8 billion in cash reserves two years ago, and our idiot rhino of a governor, carpet-bagging piece of crap Rick Perry, pissed away in two years an $8 billion surplus, and now we're negative in the hole in the budget. And guess what? The $8 billion surplus, you know how we got it? The idiot comptroller uh, that ran for governor, that lost, Carol Keaton Strayhorn, lost the money and then found it. So the only reason we had $8 million of surplus in the state of Texas is somebody lost the money. And we found it one day. Oh, shit, there's $8 billion over there. Let me get out of Texas. That just annoys me, and it makes me think of the same thing. So we have a $4 billion surplus in Kansas. Kansas is about $360 million short on their budget. What Kansas wants to do is loan itself from another fund, $368 million. Sounds like chump change compared to these billions. But remember, Kansas is not California. Kansas is not Texas. Kansas is a relatively small state, and $300 million means something up there in that government. Now, it's not just the $300 million. It's $300 million more than the Republicans in the state legislature, the state Senate in Kansas, are willing to go along with. Here's the reason why. Kansas does this all the time. They're short on funds, but the tax revenues come in in the first part of your February, March, April. So... They loan themselves money, they collect the tax revenues, and they pay it back. What the state legislature is doing, and God bless you guys in Kansas for doing this, are saying, great, 
We do this all the time. How much money do we expect to come in from the taxes? And there's not enough money to pay back all the debt. So, Kansas would begin running a deficit, which is un- illegal under the Kansas State Constitution. The debt must be repaid by the end of the budget year. They have a balanced budget requirement in the state. This would take the state off a balanced budget and would be illegal. That's why it's being stood up to. So, there's two different things there. Kansas is not going to get into a point where it can't pay its welfare payments or its Medicaid payments or whatever. But Kansas isn't sitting on top of 10 million illegal aliens like California is. So we have two very different models there, but we have both situations where states are being taken into mismanagement okay, and, and blowing surplus budgets and then turning to the federal government saying, give us money. And where does the federal government get its money? From the people. Now, obviously, if California's in a hole or Kansas is in a hole or any of the other 11 states on the verge of bankruptcy, like New Jersey, like Hawaii, like Massachusetts, like any place that big government has been tried and failed, then the only place to get the money is not from those states because they're broke. You get it from Texas. You get it from Florida. You get it from North Dakota and South Dakota and Montana and Wyoming. These little states, little in numbers of population, up in the Northwest, they run very balanced budgets, that don't believe in big government, that have no state tax or low state tax rates. Texas, big state, lots of people, but at least we have no income tax. We have lots of business, lots of oil, lots of natural gas. And all the states that live by a small government model and actually have surplus have their money taken away and given to the states to piss the money away. That's what's driving this decision. And and, and it's just important that we look at this and understand this. And we have to understand the other things that are going on. And, And it's amazing to me that this story about New Hampshire just happened to get dropped on me on the way out the door today because everything that I wanted to talk to you about today has to do with state level things being mandated by the federal government. And here's the big one. There's a big push right now to try to get a law that was passed two years ago that the, the USDA claims, all right, claims gives them the authority to mandate this nationwide and does not. So they've been trying to get it amended, but they just said, well, since we, we don't have a power, let's just say we do and see if anybody believes us. Fortunately, nobody's believed them yet. And this act is uh, driving a program called the National Animal Identification System. And you might think, as usual, Jack's making a big leap from state politics to the National Animal Identification System. What the hell is that? Uh, it's called NACE for short, N-A-I-S, and it was put together by the biggest agricultural companies in the world, including the big producers of beef and poultry, our friends, the sleazebag douchebags over at Monsanto, Cargill, all of these companies got together and drafted this thing, kind of like the Federal Reserve was drafted out on Jekyll Island, and the reason I say that is even though this was done in public, the farmers and the ranchers from across the United States were not consulted on any level whatsoever how they felt about it. They didn't have any representation. This was not done under the supervision of Congress or the Senate or the President. This was done by private business people who then took it and are trying to ram it through as legislation and law. So private citizens 
that represent big corporations bringing legislation to the people with the cohorts that they have in government and the Department of Agriculture and the USDA to try to shove it down our throats under the guise of protecting us from things like mad cow disease and bird flu. So what this is being, you know what that is, folks? That's fascism. Once again, that is the United States exhibiting major fascist tendencies. And right now, this act is there, but it's not legal. It's not required. So it's advice, basically. So the USDA is advising states to create their own legislation and do this. You need to find out whether your state's actively pursuing doing this or not. And if it's going on in your state, you need to shut it down. Because it does no good whatsoever to tell the federal government to shove it up their ass and that we won't adhere to their mandates and then have us give the, have them give us a recommendation and have us enact it when it's a bad uh, recommendation. So what is this thing? Why should we so violently oppose this? And I think the word for opposition here is violent opposition to this thing. And I don't mean tearing guys out of their seat, but I mean getting really angry and, and really staying on this one and not letting this through in your state. Uh, this could be a disastrous thing for the small but growing local food movement. Let's just start with what it would mean for people raising chickens. Let's start out what it would mean for Tyson, big giant chicken company, millions of chickens a year, uh, that was consulted and got to go in and help draft this legislation. What it means for Tyson is they have to put a little chip in every single chicken in every single one of their farms. They have to record where those chickens are, and they have to report to the federal government when those chickens are transported within 48 hours where they went to, and if they're killed, how they were killed, where they were killed, and where they're going to next. From that point on, it becomes food. It's part of the FDA, and we don't have to worry about it. It's not livestock anymore. It's now been converted into food. For Tyson, this is relatively simple. They add a process. They pass on their price to the consumer. Now, here's the thing. Tyson, when they're helping draft this bill, say, well, sometimes we take like a plant in St. Louis, and we uh, we ship 20 thousand chickens to Atlanta and then they're slaughtered in Atlanta and delivered to market. We can't file 20,000 reports. And, and their cohorts say, oh, that's that's easy. We'll give you a batch number. So once you are moving animals over a certain number, there'll just be a database and you'll have a single batch number and they'll all go in there. Now, I don't know exactly how many animals there have to be a batch number, but I know that it won't help chicken farmer number two. Chicken farmer number two is named Joe. Joe lives, and Joe is hypothetical, okay, folks. Joe lives in uh, Topeka, Kansas. And Joe has a nice little organic chicken farm. And at any one time, Joe has about 12 breeder chickens and a few dozen young chickens of various ages running around. Joe takes four or five chickens uh, at a time to uh, agricultural shows and state fairs, and he slaughters his young chickens and delivers them to a local organic poultry market. Joe will not get a batch number when he kills two dozen chickens to take. He'll have to file 12 different or 24 different reports. Joe will have to register every single animal individually, and he won't have a high-powered computer system like Tyson to take care of it for him. 
Joe will have to, on every chicken, record his home address because he keeps his chickens in his backyard. These little chips will allow the federal government to track any of Joe's chickens via satellite and see where they are with GPS anywhere in the world. And if Joe moves one and doesn't report on it within 48 hours, Joe will be subject to penalty by the government. Something like the ATF breaking in with M16s, I imagine, and seizing Joe's property. Because of this, the cost of doing business for Joe will go through the roof, and rapidly he will see that his small, little independent poultry business is not worth running. And let's talk about hypothetical chicken keeper number three. Hypothetical chicken keeper number three is me, Jack Spierka, who one day wishes to have a little uh, chicken coop with about four or five laying hens in it. I don't plan on taking them anywhere. I don't plan on doing anything with them. I plan on having them lay eggs in my backyard and eating their eggs. I plan on feeding them my garden waste and allowing them to eat it and make chicken poo so I can use it to organically fertilize my garden with composted chicken manure. I plan on leaving them run free range around my home during the day when they can be supervised to eat bugs and things like that and clean things up for me. I plan on basically keeping four little chickens as pets that happen to produce eggs. Believe it or not, even though I don't plan on selling anything, even though they're basically pets, if I were to only be keeping one chicken, I will have to comply with the National Animal Identification System because a chicken is considered a livestock. If you decide to keep one pig, it is considered a livestock. You will have to chip it and follow this law if your state enacts it. This would absolutely destroy the local food market and put everything in the controlling hands of big agriculture. So you'll, you know, why do you think people like Monsanto are on board with this? Monsanto is not in raising chickens and raising cows business, but they're in the making of um, vaccines that they're requiring for cows that produce milk. They actually make the milk, you know, worse for consumption rather than better. They've been proven to cause birth defects, but yet they want to enforce this everywhere. What's going on here? With this 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 uh, NAIS system, and with big agriculture as a whole, with patenting seeds and patenting life forms and and all these things, is what you have is a very small, and compared to the global population of six billion, it's a very small number of people that are trying to take over complete and total control of the food supply in the in the world. And those people are very closely aligned and very controlling in our government, so much so that the Secretary of Agriculture under Bill Clinton said that if Monsanto wanted something done, it was going to happen, and there was nothing he could do to stop it. Secretary of Agriculture, he's on tape on a film about Monsanto saying this. So all of these things can be validated. There's a great video that explains this uh, National Animal Identification System even better. tells you what's going on and uh, will make you more informed about it. So I'm going to put a link to that, and I'm going to let that tell the story for me. And I encourage you, it's about eight minutes of your time. Please take it and watch this video. Other than that, I think I'm going to wrap today's show up kind of short. Um, I had some uh, travel difficulties today. I didn't get to start the podcast till, uh, till well into my 
trip, and uh, that means I'm almost at my office, and I'm going to have to wrap things up at about 22 to 25 minutes here. Uh, just finishing off for today, though. I, again, I would like your assistance. If you can find me any information about this draft legislation or this resolution in New Hampshire and who else is considering doing it, please uh, get that to me. I think this is going to be an ongoing and developing thing that we're going to be able to talk about for quite a long time. Uh, so, so that's out there. I also want to remind you that later this week I'm going to give uh, away two handmade pens and these are made from 308 shell casings in mesquite wood, uh, hand-turned mesquite wood, beautiful pens. Uh, one was given to me as a gift by uh, Mystic Wood Turning and uh, there's a forum thread I'll, I'll link to so you can see this pen. I'll try to get a picture posted sometime this week, two of them. And uh, the guy doesn't have a website yet, but you can PM him on the forum and order one directly from him. And I basically said, hey, you know, you're supporting the show. You can have your own thread in the forum and, and, and discuss this as much as you want. Uh, I don't see it as forum spamming because you're supporting us uh, with donations. So these are just gorgeous. Uh, my partner's been trying to steal mine uh, since he's seen it. Uh, hey, you got that pen? Can I borrow it? That type of thing. Uh, they're just really neat, and it's an example of an entrepreneur creating something from things that probably other people just are, would let go to waste, like empty shell casings and uh, some pieces of mesquite wood. Uh, so make sure you tune in to take a shot at winning those on Friday. Again, this has been Jack Spierker with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream, and you can holler, it really doesn't matter, cause it all gets spent.